All right, I am here with Ashley Bomboka, and she is a graduating senior at Bowdoin College, who is president of the African American Society at Bowdoin, and she's from the Twin Cities, and she'll be graduating with a government and Africana studies double major with a minor in education studies. Whoa. So, we'll be talking about that maybe in a little bit, but I'm going to ask you my three um, typical questions, which are, what is most important to you? Mm -hmm. What do the liberal arts mean to you? Right. And what do you wish professors knew about you? So don't worry, I'll be responsible for getting us to them, those questions, but let's just start with, what's most important to you? In my life? Yeah. Wow. Um, I just, I've always valued gaining knowledge in general in whatever capacity, whether that was in school, whether it was from working a bunch of different jobs, whether that was just reading articles on my own time or going out to different events or different places to see how other people live. I just think the point, I guess the point of me for a live, the point of me living is just to understand my world around me as much as possible and gain all these different experiences so I can better evaluate my life and where I want to go and what I want to do. Um, my family is really important to me. Hmm. Very important to me. I think that, yes, it, I think, okay, I think family, among other things, is socially constructed, but I think the fact that I've lived with five people in houses for 18 years and I'm somewhat hmm. required to help them because I'm born to them is something that I do cherish, and I mm -hmm. think there is a good support system waiting for me at home, although it's definitely taken some time to fashion, and there's definitely a lot of compromises that have to be hmm. made, but I value the camaraderie and I value the love and respect so how did that work you're things. quite a you're quite a ways from home right and so I almost hear were those two things at odds um valuing knowledge and maybe coming to get it at Bowdoin right you know in Maine and moving far away from the Midwest or were these things that your family expected you to go off and you know get some knowledge and right is there an expectation that you bring that knowledge back? Like, do those, are, the, are those things connected in any way? I think they are connected. I think that for my mother specifically, she wanted me to leave Minnesota and do something else because the Midwest, I think in general, there's a tendency for people to love their community so much and not ever look beyond, beyond them. And so a lot of people end up staying. And so I didn't want to be one of those people that believed in Minnesota simply because I'd never seen anything else. I ended up going to the same high school that my family members did mm. and like going to the same college and having the same experience and going to the same suburbs. It, I, I just felt like that was very, I don't know, that was settling for something. I didn't want to settle just yet. I wanted to know that Minnesota was my place. And so I think my mother wanted me to leave for that reason. She wanted me to explore my horizons. Um, and I personally wanted to come to the East Coast because I wanted to see all these major cities and gain a new cultural capital and understanding that I would not have gotten in the Midwest. And so it felt, in some ways, like its own study abroad experience. I, I mean, I had to look... And like, I don't know, it's like learning new routes, understanding, well, there's an ocean, like that gives me so many other acti outdoor activities to do. Mm. Now there's mountains instead of just hills and plains, all right? So that changes, like, people's, like, understanding of nature, and then it's so easy mm. to get around to so many different cities, and there's so much history here. And there is history in the Midwest, but it's all spread out, and mm. like, it just doesn't go back as far. And so I think it's been frightening in some ways, because there's so much that I don't know, and there's a lot that I feel like I've had to catch up to, but at the same time, it's been fascinating to hmm. me to just see how much I've grown, how much I've, I've like, kind of consumed. What, what cities have you explored on the East Coast while you've been here? Because I'm guessing when you talk about major American cities, you're not including 
um, Brunswick, Maine, where Bowdoin is located, or <laughs> or even maybe um, Portland, Maine, you know, right. which is the biggest city in Maine. So what major cities did you seek out, and what did you experience in those? Of course, so I've been to Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C., and then have I been to... I would say that for major cities, but mm-hmm. also like Yale's and New Haven, so I've been there right. too, and I've been to a couple of other colleges across the, like, in the general, like, NESCAC, small mm-hmm. arts school, Ivy yep. area. Um, I think the city that probably really threw me off in a lot of ways was Washington, D.C. What I do you mean by threw you off? It's, I think it's, it's one thing to admire it as a, as like a, as an intellectual capital, as a place where so many people are like, are flying in and out and there's so many bases for different like uh, non-profits and you know it, the federal government's there like there's so much going on which is beautiful but I think to be to physically live in that environment and to always be on your toes because you never know who's around the corner who could either help you or like in some way be at odds with you is very overwhelming did you live there I did I lived there over the summer and I worked for Save the Children in Washington DC which you helped me out on which was awesome <laughs> and I loved the experience because in the nonprofit, I felt like I was valued and I felt like I got to do so many different tasks my bosses really cared about me but coming out of it like, I could just tell everyone is just so focused. Even after your 9 to 5, like, you're still putting on a show or performance for someone mm. or something in a way that I think other cities allow you to be yourself as soon as you come in your house. Um, I think part of that is just everybody is a professional and is, a, like, that's where all leaders are going. So that's where, like, you are, you're just part of an elite group of people and you're moving constantly and trying to, like, you know, set new standards and be innovative and make new connections. And I think from that I was just very surprised. And I think also, too, like, it is a very diverse city, but I... It's just a stark difference between who's working in the White House, like, who's working in all those other buildings, but then who's also doing customer service, and there's definitely, like, white people doing, like, professional jobs, and then it's all people of color and service. And that was surprising to me that there was just no, hmm. almost no overlap in any kind. So what was that like for you as a black woman? It was very weird, because I've done Navigating, both. right. Um, I've always had part-time jobs, I've always had summer jobs, I've worked at Bowdoin, anywhere between, like, 10 to 15 hours a week at least scheduled and then I'm always picking up shifts left and right so I had a part-time job on the weekends and I worked at the zoo which and again like most of my co-workers were were black or african-american or they were um african immigrants and then everybody else was white but then as soon as I went to save the children I was one of very few black people present whether they were an intern or if they were a full-time mm-hmm. employee and so that was it was hard to navigate so I was it's like it was when I was, when I was at save the children we'd go to happy hour again most servers were gonna be black or latino so it was just like okay, like, does anybody mm. else also think this is a little weird? Because I think this is weird. But maybe also, I mean, I don't know. I just never experienced such a stark contrast. Mm. In Minnesota, I mean, most of the state is white, so you're going to see white people doing right. customer service and different other things. But in D.C., I was like, wow. that's It really, it was just something to get used to. And I didn't, mm. I felt like I had to act differently in different spaces and in different places. And I could, it's like I could sympathize with people who were working because I was also working too. Right. But at the same time, how does one you can't it's just something that's hard to communicate and I should have checked with you which do you prefer do you um, have a preference of being referred to as a black woman or of an African American woman I should have checked in with you oh no totally fine I think race so hmm. if you're gonna ask me what my race is I'll tell you that I'm black if you're gonna ask me what my nationality is or my like genetic heritage I'll say I'm a Ugandan American because I was born here in America but my parents both of them were born Mm -hmm. raised in Uganda and are first generation Right, so for okay. you, you don't feel like the African-American uh, no, wouldn't necessarily apply because it's too general. 
Yes, and I think the origin of the term itself is... It was like trying to make up for it, something you... It's trying to make up for slavery. You can't make... You can't just like give people their origins back by attaching the continent of Africa to their name when they don't have a connection to that place. Whereas yeah. I know that I have a specific connection to Uganda and I would never claim the entire continent because I don't know about it. Right. In the same way. And I feel like that's... It seems silly. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you come from a place... Minnesota yeah. that is very white, yes. um, that rivals Maine in yeah. its whiteness. And so some students of color come and are very surprised about how mm. white it is. And that is and that is a, a shock and an adjustment for them. Was it a shock and an adjustment for you? No. I think I've grown... So I lived in predominantly white areas my entire life. I had gone to predominantly white schools my entire life. I was definitely, at this point, used to being the, to used to being the tokenized black student part I was one of few people I spoke standard American English with a like not with like I'm not I didn't live in the ghetto so I didn't have a, I didn't have a hood accent I didn't necessarily speak black vernacular when I was in these academic settings so I think there are definitely some people who were just like well you're like really smart or something which was obviously my progression in and of itself right um and like I don't know I was used to being in the calendar magazines and being used on university spreads and talking about how great these opportunities were that were afforded to me and they were great and I think I'm a better student because of them but I don't know, it didn't necessarily do any good, I think, for my social growth. Definitely was one of those things that I had to navigate that world by myself, whereas mm -hmm. I feel like my classmates were definitely more supported by the social opportunities at the schools that I attended. So coming to Bowdoin, I was in no way surprised by the student demographics. I think I was surprised about the way that we handled mm. issues of race, class, or gender, intersectionality, or religion, or anything, because I was like, I guess I thought in college we'd be older, we'd be wiser, right? I thought that... You know, we're so stuck and we're so bitter about high school always being a place where you can't be yourself and you can't do different things. And you can't engage intellectually because that makes you look like you're stupid. And you feel like you have to drink and you have to smoke to fit in. Just like all these things that shouldn't be part of the academic experience. I thought coming to Bowdoin, there must be a way, there must be a more flexible way to navigate this. And I found that that wasn't necessarily the case. Hmm. And so I think I definitely had to sift and sort through people and like my academic experiences to find what I wanted. And so how did how did you navigate that? If that's not what you want, right? Right. Then how did you? What were your what were your um, navigation points? I mean, I definitely tried that route. Like I came to college and I was like, oh, I want to be social. I totally want to party. I don't really want to hang. Like mm -hmm. I'll go join some student some extracurricular activities, and I did all those things. But I think I realized that like. There's no point in doing a ton of different things that you cannot commit to and that you don't love in the same way. I don't think it was... So, I did, like, I did safe space and I had residential life and all these things. And I love them and they gave me good experiences. I'm in no way, like, devaluing the work that safe space does with sexual assault. I don't really devalue the work that I was like does. But it's not my particular passion. And so, I think it required a lot of me talking. So, I, I got a counselor. So, I, talked to, I would talk to him or her about mm -hmm. any of those issues. I went through, like, different... I mean, I... I went to a lot of different like friend groups. Like I always had my like same core individual friends. Do you feel like you've reinvented yourself? Many every time, every year is like, always a new change. Either I'm dropping an activity, gaining an activity, getting some new professors. My classes change my outlook, and then obviously too, like any of my internships over the summer definitely affect how I approach mm -hmm. academic life. Do you feel like that is you know some people I could see saying, well, gee, you're sort of posing. Right. Each year, do you see this? Uh, do you see those that sort of playing with identity as posing, or is it a part of growth and experimentation, or is it 
sort of a layering of who you are? I think, I think it's a mixture between a layering, but it, so it's, I think it's a layering of who I am for the, and like the end result being growth. I don't think that it's necessarily problematic to play with identity as long as it's a process for yourself versus a process to please others. Because I think there are definitely times at Bowdoin where, especially the transition between like the first year and sophomore, you're trying to prove that you're more mature, you're trying to prove mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you have a general direction of where you want to go in terms of your major and minor, you're trying to prove, well, I was in a college house basement in Baxter at this time, but now I'm not going to do that again. And so I feel like there's definitely pressure to prove so much when it's only been a year mm. and you still necessarily know if you love bone or not and then there's always the whole then we go into this are bone students really happy or are they not happy and then everyone always says they're going to transfer but like most of us don't transfer right so did with you, that did rhetoric you, did you think about transferring i genuinely did i genuinely Why? did i was just very i think it was just overwhelmed me in general because i think the thing was i'm used to the 70 30 ratio between whites and pocs at bowden i was used to talking about racial issues but i think I didn't realize how much of an institution, how old Bowdoin was, and how hard it was going to be to change. But I think in schools in Minnesota aren't, at least my elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools, don't have this deep-seated history. Um, don't have, and are not necessarily, are not necessarily as traditional. And I think in a K through 12 space, there are things that I was forced to do. Whereas in college, you can't force people to do things. So it'd be, it would have been a lot easier to communicate to my racist classmates that you need to go to this assembly and that's required of you, else you won't graduate. Whereas you can't do that with college students, and so that becomes very complicated to navigate. Can you talk a little bit about how you felt the weight of history yeah. at Bowdoin? Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that question make sense? Because yes. I feel, I, I just, when you're talking, I get this sense of like a little like pressing down upon yes. you. And, and so I want to hear a little bit more about what that's like. I think what's interesting to me about Bowdoin is just how how involved it's been in so many historical moments and events and how alumni have definitely changed the trajectory both of the college but also two of the nation and like the state of Maine. I think one example is the Civil War. Like how many people did we graduate from here that fought on both sides? You know, but then we view Bowdoin has always, I guess, been like a very liberal accepting place. Like how does that work? How is it that we graduate, you know, like the, what, the third black person in the entire country to go to college and I did some research on him for a class last year and I found out that he wanted to be a doctor but he couldn't receive a medical degree because black people were not to get medical degrees in the 1830s and I was like how does that work and like what does that say about our institution and then Professor Purnell did a presentation after the gangster party on minstrelsy at Bowdoin and then we found on the like early 1900s like those were since I ran around dressed as a KKK for fun and so I'm sitting here and I'm like there are just some things that we don't ever talk about and that we don't ever know. Or, like, even women at Bowdoin, like, those first couple of years dealing with sexual assaults, like, that's something we never talk about. And I'm like, why? You know what I mean? Not to say that we... Not to say that my, our goal is, like, to make Bowdoin look like a bad place, but we have to discuss how people made it here. Otherwise, it just looks all too simple and all too easy. Hmm. So I feel like there's that, too. And I feel yeah. like, in terms of being a low-income student on financial aid, there's definitely a pressure to prove that you belong here more than anyone else because you're taking it's like it, this concept I feel like it's like you're taking up resources it's like oh you're put here because of affirmative action or like oh like you're not really as smart as everyone else and like I don't necessarily think that I think I'm I think I'm an intelligent person I think I'm fine but there's definitely sort of pressure to prove to other people that you're worth that spot and you're worth that time how has that been communicated to you has it been explicit I, I don't I think for me my experiences at Bowdoin with any type of bias have never been a direct 
statement made towards me in a hateful manner. It's always been the way that people react to my presence without, they, like, it's not a verbal communication, it's definitely like a spatial shift, or like I can see that their mind has been changed upon me saying things. I think that a lot of people made the assumption that freshman year, like, because I like to have fun, I like to party, I wasn't necessarily a very serious person, but as soon as I step in a classroom, as soon as I'm at my job, like, I'm there, I'm dedicated. I think part of that was just, if I'm with my friends, I don't feel the need to prove to them that I'm that smart, or prove to them that I'm capable, like, that's not the point, like, it's a relaxed space. I feel like that's what the classroom is for, that's what my job is for, that's what a panel is for. But that's not what my calm, relaxed environments are for. Because I would hope that they respect me and believe I'm smart in the same way that I respect them and I believe they're smart too. Um, so I feel like it's just always been this like singing back of the mind feeling that like I just need to like say the right comment in class or I need to like participate in something or like mm. prove that I have these extra skills and that I can manage so many things. Do you feel like that sense of needing to prove yourself is about proving yourself to your peers, to other students, or do you feel like it is proving yourself to professors or both? I think it's both. I think that Bowdoin for me, which seems very, which will seem very counterintuitive, was a place where I could really take the time to take things as they were and explore them and also just process failures on my own terms. I think that... Can you give an example? Oh, totally, that? yeah. I mean, I think... I don't know, I got a D in my physics course, and I, like, did not realize I was going to be really terrible at physics, and I, like, turned in my work, I tried everything to do, but it wasn't my class, and that's about to the time I knew, I was like, I'm not going to be a science major, I'm definitely going to switch mm -hmm. to my to the humanities route, because it fits my way of thinking better, and I think being a first-generation African immigrant, there's definitely pressure to, like, go to an Ivy League school and do really well, so even by the time I got into Bowdoin, my mom was mad that I didn't go to Swarthmore, and then she was just like, why didn't you go to Swarthmore when you couldn't go? Like, why didn't you go to Swarthmore? Why didn't you go to an Ivy League school? And I think there was just so much pressure in high school to, like, do well not only for my family, but to prove to all these people at SBA who had been, like, really rude mean to me or, like, maybe racist that, like, yeah, I'm going to go to a great school and, yeah, I'm going to leave the Midwest and, yeah, I'm leaving you guys in the dust. So I feel like at Bowdoin, I really got to personalize my experience and make it my own. So I really wanted to do extracurriculars and I wanted to be in the classroom. And, like, maybe that meant that, like, I just wasn't going to do as hot in a class and, like, that to me wasn't that bad because I still gained that I still gained the information, and I was still there and I was still participating and like I know I'm a better student because I came here, and I think that matters and I think like I don't know if the institution wants like me to make them proud like I can do that like I'll prove that like it was a good place to go, I just don't think that I necessarily have the GP to prove that but like I'm not particularly mad about that, that's a me thing. So this is a perfect segue into yeah. the so what did the liberal arts mean to you? I mean, I think it's it's very exploratory, and I think that it allows you as a student to like really tinker with what things mean and why they mean the thing and why they mean what they mean and how you either perpetuate those things or how you can deconstruct them. And mm -hmm. I think it's a great space because you can take so many risks, and it's allowed, it's required, it's it's encouraged. I think that like that doesn't mean that we don't have biases. Like I definitely think that we don't let conservatives have as much of a voice on campus. But I also think that at the end of the day, like, we can have these conversations, and it's not like anyone's going to be kicked out of a building or shunned. It's like anyone's losing their job. Yes, you might get, I mean, you might get suspended for something, like, plagiarism, but, like, you can still come back. Like, there are second chances. There are ways to be integrated, you know, in the community that you want to be a part of. And so I feel like, I don't know, it's just all about just, like, doing as much as you can and, like, learning and knowing as much as you can. And I think that because I haven't been trained in a specific job set, I feel like I can do anything. Hmm. That And that's pretty cool. But I think that, like, I can totally see somebody not feeling like they can do that, but you just got to trust yourself. And I think you have to trust the system. 
I was wanting to ask you, and maybe this yeah. is a good time to do it. What is your current iteration of self? What's your current exploration, right? So you said you reinvented yeah. yourself every year. Like what? What are you now, or who are you exploring being right now? Me? Well, um, so it's about been about a year of my hair going natural, which is pretty awesome. Mm. So I feel like I'm really trying to learn how it grows, how it doesn't grow, what what temperature is affecting my hair. So I'm looking at specifically. I feel like hair is African American, like in in black society is just so prized and so valued, but it also comes with a lot of tension and struggle, and it's also been undervalued by American society as a whole, and so I think trying to claim that and own that for myself, but also leave me room to experiment with other styles. So sometimes I feel like there are definitely people, there's always like that weird assumption like, oh, if you wear natural hair, you're more woke, and oh, if, you're, if you wear weaves, then you're not woke, but if you wear braids, you're like totally there because you're really Afrocentric, but I think the <laughs> point about being a citizen, like I think the point of these things is like, you, I think, I don't know, I guess for me, what I always looked at it is like the one part about my privilege that like is what I want is just to be an individual and have my choices not reflect some greater political scheme so I should be able to wear a weave and it shouldn't be an issue when I should be able to go natural it shouldn't be an issue and it can be short I can go almost bald and it can be extremely long I'll have a lot of hair and I think I just want to play with that individuality as much as possible and try to like create a world for myself outside of these dichotomies that are created because of identity struggles and like trying to like yeah. build like that for yourself well and I know too that in uh for for women um, who um, have black hair, I don't know if that's even the right term, or black women who have their hair natural, I guess. Right. Like, that is an issue going into the work right. world. You right? Know, and so are yeah. you thinking about that at all? As someone who you are sitting here looking very fancy Thank because you. you had a job, um, job interview today. So is that coming up for you at all as you're moving into the world of work? I mean, I think it's just things that the CPC, or the Career Planning Center, I should mm -hmm. say, for those of you who don't go to Bowdoin, is just not prepared to tell you. And I think that that's very weird, because that, you know, you have so many resources online, and you can get mock interviews, and the Bowdoin Alumni Network, like, everyone talks about all these great things they can do for you, but I think as a person of color, there are certain dynamics that cannot be explained in a tutorial. And even if you're qualified to get this job, and even if you're in the workplace, like, it doesn't eliminate those other interpersonal issues that might, you know, make it harder for you to get your job done. I think for me, in terms of hair, I'm definitely a bit worried about it, and I, I'm trying to, like, watch what my interviewers are wearing and how they're wearing their hair to see what's acceptable and what's not. I think that, like, I don't know, I think a basic headband and, like... You look fabulous. Short hair you look has fabulous. gone well, for the most part. And Save the Children was really fine with it. I feel like it was a more corporate environment. I'd be a little bit more concerned, but I'm trying to work in... I'm, just, I'm trying to work in, like, I don't know, the administrative supporter side of K-12 schools. I think I should be okay. But, again, I, I won't know until I get to the workforce. I just won't know until I get there. Because it's not like any of my interviewers are t can tell me. You know what I mean? Right. Can discriminate against you because of it. How many of, your interview how many of your interviewers have been black? One. How many interviews have you had? <laughs> I'm going to apply to that. Well, okay, so let me think. And one, so I had one interview over the phone for a position at Bowdoin, but I knew the woman already, and she was white. Um, I have had three Skype interviews thus far for the same organization. One woman was black, the rest of them were white. And then this next interview down in New York, I assume in my, I should have probably one or two black faculty and staff. I, but just was, I was just curious we'll if you were able to take cues from 
anyone who was interviewed. Yeah, I mean, the one, so, like, the job that I do when I work at back home in Minnesota, there's one woman who did have weave in, mm-hmm. so I was like, all right, like, I'll definitely go home and do that when I get my first paycheck, I can make that work. Um, I did, I was all natural in D.C., Save the Children was definitely a very, like, I don't know, for, you know how business casual means is everything at the same time? Right. They very much embrace that, and so I definitely knew I could come to the workplace in a casual where I could have my hair up, and it wouldn't cause us, and it wouldn't cause a stir. I just, I don't know. At Bowdoin, I feel like, I don't know. Right, has thought, hair been an issue at Bowdoin? I don't think so, but then again, we also don't have professional staff in, like, we have professional, we have, like, professors, but we don't have any, so we have professional faculty, but we don't have any professional staff of color that have my hair texture that wear it, like, either at all, either they just, like, literally aren't here, or if they do, they're not, they're wearing it in braids or something else. Right. So I don't really know. I mean, I'd like to think Bowdoin would be fine with it, but again, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I guess I was more even wondering... Has it been, um, has there been anything about being, you know, amongst other students with going oh, yeah. with your hair natural? I mean, it's interesting. I think a lot of members of the black community were like, yes, you've like joined our side. And I'm sitting here like, guys, like, not, like, I, I do feel embraced by the community and we're definitely all now training hair tips and products and I have a good friend of mine in my year who has her own hairline. So that's been awesome to like work with to work with natural products, know where my hair, like, know where they're coming from, support her and her work, but also to have my hair feel a lot softer and more, and more manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from, like, the black community has been relatively positive. I think that my friends are accepting of it because they accept me. But I don't know if Bowdoin really values natural hair that's this core, that's, like, this kinky, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. I, I think, I don't know, I think the way that I've, the way that I've, I think because I know a lot of people have voted anything because I'm very social overall and I like to bring people together. I think people accept things that I do, not necessarily because they like love black people, but because they like me as a person. I think mm-hmm. there's definitely that cognitive dissociation yep. between me as a black woman and like me as like your friend or your classmate or yep. your peer or your bone student, hmm. which is very weird. Can you feel that when that happens? Yeah, like I know when it happens too because it's like, I don't know, I was talking to a friend yesterday and like we've been friends since... Our freshman year, and we don't see each other often, but we're definitely, like, the me, like, it's, like, the, that breakfast, lunch, or dinner will save our friendship for the rest of the semester. Right. And he, I was just asking him, I was, like, yo, would you do Bowden again? He's, like, yeah, wouldn't you? And I was, like, no. He was, like, why? I was, like, no. And I wasn't going to go into, like, I wasn't going to, like, I was, like, I don't think I need to necessarily go into every single Facebook post I've ever known about how frustrating this place has been, or, like, every time I'm trying to make change, and, like, faculty, our staff, our student body's been very resistant, but I was, like... We live completely different lives. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like there was that moment where I definitely was like, Ashley, your friend, versus like, Ashley, somebody who could be part of a marginalized group who could maybe not have had the same great experience as you did. But then I also feel like because people think that I have a lot of friends who do a lot of things, that I don't think people notice that I am suffering. Not suffering, but I think that I'm struggling. That's the better word. Or that like, I find some things frustrating. Because it appears as though those are, like, and I think those are markers of, like, having a great life at Bowdoin, being involved, having friends, like, knowing the, knowing where's a, where there's a party or event, knowing, like, faculty and staff are there to support you. I know President Rose, like, somewhat well now. And I feel like those are, like, those are, like, external indicators that you're doing fine, so I don't think people would ever think So what's the, so what have, can you identify what a struggle has been that you're willing to talk totally. about now? Yeah. I think definitely... My major and minor and being defined by that was a big struggle for me just because there was external pressure from my family to 
Pink Amazon is going to be very lucrative, and I think for the humanities, again, because they're subjects and they're not job fields, it's very difficult to determine what lucrative is going to look like. Your mm-hmm. starting salary is not going to be in finance, where they're making, like, what, upwards of 80 k a year. It's not going to be in tech, which has room for growth and room for, you know, a ton of promotions. It's anywhere between 35 and 40 k so I think my mother was definitely concerned about that. Um, my mother growing up had always been like, well, the humanities is really easy because all you're doing is reading and writing. Like, it's math and science where you're, like, really pushing yourself and you're really struggling. Mm. And I was like, Mom, that's not true. Like, it's all relative. Not to be like, I know it's a very trifling mm-hmm. statement to make, but I think that you do, like, it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you're going for. And not every single job field is going to be really easy just because you're reading all the time. Um, but I also feel like that was a product of her upbringing and her education in Uganda, which was very much like rote memory, memorization, mm-hmm. get out and go versus a, liberal art, a full liberal arts education. Um, so I think it was just, like, realizing that was, that path wasn't for me, and then jumping into Gov, where I didn't necessarily love my class, I didn't necessarily love the subject matter in my classes as much as I loved the analytical skills, and, like, the ability to really tussle with the law, and how to hmm. argue, and support, I don't know, a policy stance or a policy issue, and understanding why things can't be changed, even though they're visibly hurting people, because of the wording, and because of the language, and because of the time frame, and how you have to work to build coalitions in order to do that, like, I love that part of it. But I can't genuinely say that I was very excited about any of those classes all the time. I loved my African Studies major. I loved Educational Studies. Gov was a functional, was a functional reality. Like, I loved it, but I didn't... I liked it. I appreciated it. I think it was super useful, but I don't love it. But I thought I needed it. And I still... I stand by the fact that I needed it. I was going to say, would you make a different decision? No. Or you to- I think... No, I don't think I would have, because I think with science, what it taught me was, like, doing research. Now I know how to interpret research and studies, and I did I took a biostatistics course. So, like, what does statistically significant mean? What are my variables mean? How do they change? What is the relationship between the two? Like, what makes a study something, what makes a study, like, worth reading? What makes a, sub, a study something you throw out? I think that was useful. And I think, I genuinely believe in Bowdoin that as a science student, I think you get, you have a full liberal arts education as a result because you have to take your requirements for your major and minor and you're never going to take all four science classes mm-hmm. so you must take humanities class whereas as a, as a humanities major you can go through your entire life maybe like you take what one math class and like math can be kind of 101 so it's not even really calculus right and you can take one science class but you don't even have a lab sometimes sometimes like the right. science of music which is fine again but it's not a hard science and so i think science majors are definitely getting the bulk of that hmm. what um what do you wish your professors knew about you? Oh, Lord. Um. <laughs> I wish they knew that I talk in class because I'm bored. <laughs> so we should not interpret your class participation. Are you talking about talking to other students or that you participate when you're bored? I participate when I'm bored. It's not that I'm bored all the time. It's not I'm bored, therefore I participate. It's that sometimes, like... It's like, there might be a day where I just really, I'm not intellectually stimulated by the subject that we're studying, whether I've learned it before or it just really didn't interest me. So sometimes, so the only way to keep myself engaged is to participate and be active in some way. And I definitely am a big fidgeter, which definitely throws people off. And I like, have tried drawing and I've tried silly putty. And that's why I also, oh, and then another thing too is that that's why I never sit directly in the front because I realize my actions will be interpreted as I'm really not paying attention. When in reality, I'm like really trying and I am getting it. It's just... It doesn't look that way. So I feel like I participate because I know I need to be active, I need to be present, even if I'm not necessarily interested, but I also don't sit in the front row because of that. But it's not because I feel like I need to be a bad kid. Like, I don't need to prove a statement. It's very much just like, let me save us all some stress. 
<laughs> well, so I'm going to end it here. Um, I'm going to make one note on Ashley's uh, participation here. Is that I should have mentioned at the beginning that Ashley speaks very quickly. I do, yes. And she is known for this on campus. It's true. And so... <laughs> If you need to, this is the digital age. You can slow down. That's true. The recording <laughs> when you listen to it. So thanks so much. Of it's course. been fun talking to Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's so, so quickly. But yeah, that's what I wish you knew about me. Or like those awkward.